All right, Sam. Let's get right into the swing of things. It's season three of Front Porch Report, which means it's time for an episode of Discovery Bible Study. But if we want to study the Bible and discover what's in there, we got to know what book we're reading. And I'll be honest, we have not decided that yet. We do know that we want to do a gospel. And I know each of us probably has one that we kind of want to be the one. I mean, my personal like preference would be the non-canonical gospel of Barnabas. That sounds like a good idea. Um, I don't know if the CSB has a translation of that one. I definitely don't have it on my shelf either. So uh, let's set our sights a little maybe less heretical as well. We can um, We can pick one of the four that's in the Bible, but... In the interest of not trying to show favoritism, I, I vote that we select our option using the tried and true method of casting lots, just like those guys on a boat did when they were deciding to throw Jonah overboard. I've got a little four-sided die here, and I say we roll it. Whichever number comes up, that's the gospel we do. What do you think of that? Is that one of your demon dies that you use for that Dungeon and Dragons thing? I have no words to defend myself on this. It's This is true. I've been exposed. Oh, man. Man, I'm going to be praying for you. You've been tainted as well by the, the D&D. I, I have, <laughs> indeed. All right. So I'm going to say one is Matthew, two is Mark, three is Luke, and four is John. You ready for this? Let's go. All right. And one, two, three... Welcome to Discovery Bible Study on Front Porch Report. Here, every other week, Sam and I look at a chapter from the Holy Scriptures and ask a set of simple questions. What does this text say about people? What does it say about God? And what does it say about the Gospel? From there, we use the insights we glean to discover how the passage is relevant to us and how we can apply it to our lives. This Bible study method is tried and tested in individual and small group settings and is designed to help God's Word speak more clearly to the biblical novice or the master theologian. Thank you for joining us this week, and we pray that this study is fruitful to you and to your ministry. It's three. We're doing Luke, baby. That's I'm a kind good of role. I'm pretty excited about this, though, because if I'm being honest, Luke is probably my favorite gospel. Like It's the longest one, and it's just got a ton of different teachings and parables and miracles and stuff in it. It tells a really complete story. It's got the uh, that little episode of Jesus when he's 12. You got a very complete Christmas narrative. So there's a lot going on in there. Plus, you know, you and I are probably both prone to like Luke as a, as a person generally, since he was he was in the medical field himself, by all accounts. Indeed, indeed. So while we would have so much fun going through all 80 some odd verses of uh, chapter one, today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Uh, today we'll be doing an intro to the book, like who wrote the book? 
which, uh, spoiler alert, it might not be Luke. Hold up. Hold up. I know. We'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's go ahead and start talking about the author, because when it was written, it did not come in the form of a little book that had the word Luke on the front or the gospel according to Luke on the front, as it says in maybe your Bible. And so when we're trying to figure out the author, we have to use both internal context clues and some external context clues to come to the conclusion that most historians have come to. Now, one of the most important things that we need to look at when it comes to that internal context I was talking about is the introduction to the book of Luke and how it compares to the book of Acts. Both of them open with a little preface dedicating the book to Theophilus, and Acts in particular actually references a previous work, which is pretty obviously Luke, just because of those similarities that we see right there. Yeah, uh, and if you want scripture references for that, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, pretty clearly indicate that these two volumes were written by one unified author to a gentleman named Theopolis. Uh, And your next question is, well, who's Theopolis? Great question. We don't know. It was either probably maybe like a wealthy person who was able to kind of fund and commission a book of the size and scope of Luke and Acts, or maybe it was just a group of people because Theophilus is Greek for lover of God. And so that could be a nickname for someone that could be someone's actual name, or it could just be a general moniker that the author is using to say, hey, this is to the lovers of God out there. And I have dedicated my, my time and my life to putting together this little, um, as he puts it in Luke, an orderly account of the events that we have seen. So those are some internal clues in the book that we can see. Uh, but some external clues, the largest of which we have is uh, church tradition. So church tradition uh, tells us that this is uh, attributed to a person known as St. Luke. And uh, that's well and good. But church tradition doesn't necessarily always mean that it is 100% accurate and factual. There is church tradition that attributes that each of the 12 apostles wrote a portion of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily hold that to be true (laughs) if we are looking at a strict historic sense, mostly because uh, our oldest tradition of it was like 50 to 60 some odd years after the death of a good six of the apostles. So... I have my doubts there, but that doesn't mean just because it's church tradition, we throw it out. There are some other indications by and large that would let us see that this is more than likely written by Luke. So the first piece of evidence that we can look at is actually in the book of Acts. There are several sections where in the narrative, it goes from being just a pure third person Paul said this, Peter said that, to uh, we did this and we went here and there. And the interesting thing about that is that it suggests that the author of Acts and thereby the author of Luke was someone who knew Paul personally and was a companion of his in several of the adventures that occur in the book of Acts. And beyond that, we can look through some of Paul's letters to figure out who some of his companions actually were. We know that a lot of those candidates are kind of out of the running because they actually get named in those third person sections. So it's not Barnabas. It's not John Mark. It's not Silas. 
And so that narrows it down a little bit for us. In Colossians 4.14, there's a reference to a Luke, the dearly loved physician, sending greetings. And in Philemon verse 24, it references to Luke uh, as a co-worker. Uh, and of course, Paul introduces himself in the introductory portion of that letter. So that establishes that Luke is a co-worker of Paul. To go back to your earlier point, Sam, about church tradition, we have some testimony from some of the early church fathers, writers, such as Justin Martyr and Tertullian, who claim that Luke was the author, both the Gospel of Luke and of Acts. And so that's where the claims come from. That's where we get the name Gospel of Luke in our Bibles today. Is it possible that... All of this is wrong and it's someone else that maybe is unnamed in the rest of scripture, or it could be some other random person like the Demas that is mentioned in Colossians 4.14. Yes, but I think that we'd stand on decent enough footing that we can say that it's Luke. Yeah, and if if it really bothers you, um, every time we say Luke, just uh, substitute that in your head with the author and that'll be fun. that tells us a little bit about the who, Sam. Why is this book actually in the Bible? Why do we need the third gospel? Well, uh, Taz, as you alluded to, we don't have to speculate. This is one of the beautiful things that uh, I love about uh, the gospel according to Luke is the author very clearly tells us why he is writing this. And he introduces to the character Theophilus, and and he says in the preface of chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he says uh, that there may be an orderly account about the things that have been fulfilled among us. And so the reason why Luke is writing is that there is an orderly account. Uh, And now you may say, uh, but Samuel, you have said that this is the third gospel that was written in all likelihood, with Mark coming first, and in all likelihood, Matthew following. Why does there need to be a third account in this situation? And that's because uh, there are certain things covered in the gospel according to Luke that are simply not covered in Mark or Matthew. And so I think it's uh, clearly it's beneficial, and it was established in canon for a reason. And so we have a more in-depth version of the birth. Uh, we see the birth uh, paralleled in Matthew, but you know we have a more detailed version here. We see a, a detailed version of the birth of John the Baptist, which we don't actually have account for in any of the other Gospels. We see Anna and Simeon, which uh, aren't mentioned in the other Gospels, but are, are two amazing stories that are, are really important for us to really establish, you know, who is this Jesus and why was he so important? from a very young age early on. And so this author is using clearly some eyewitnesses accounts that were also used in Mark and Matthew, because there are some bleed over uh, stories. For instance, the feeding of the 5,000 is mentioned in all three of these and in the gospel according to John as well. And so, and to be clear, Luke himself in in this first uh, preface talks about how he consulted eyewitnesses about the things that had taken place. And so that is, is really the, the heart behind why Luke is writing this, uh, which is great for us because we don't have to sit here and speculate 
like with Genesis. Well, why was this written and, and, and who wrote it and things like that. And there's just all these debates. It makes our job a lot easier when the author's like, God, this, this is why I'm writing. So it kind of establishes that from us at the beginning. And I think that Luke's existence is almost an answer to the existence of the Gospel of Matthew, right? Because Matthew is very clearly written to a by a Jewish person for a Jewish audience. It's intended to really tie the story of Jesus in with what has come before it in the Hebrew Bible. And Luke by no means ignores the Hebrew Bible or ignores the Jewishness of Christ, but he was probably a Gentile himself. And he writes in a way that really calls to people who maybe do not have that deep root of Jewish faith already and helps to make us realize that the gospel and Jesus are for everyone and not just for the Jews, um, that Gentiles can come into this as well. And that gets stated very explicitly in a lot of places in the book of Acts, the follow-up uh, narrative to to this gospel but there will be times and moments throughout our study here where we'll get to see outsiders downtrodden oppressed people get brought into this new kingdom this new family of god and that's something that this gospel really emphasizes which i also think is pretty cool could take a moment to talk about a really brief overview of the structure of the book mm-hmm. and if you want a more thorough look with some cool visuals you can check out the bible projects read scripture overview of really any book in the bible they they're all quite excellent and they use the visuals and to really give you a picture of what things are doing but the first two chapters serve as a real introduction as jesus is preparing for his ministry being born and then preparing for his ministry chapters three through nine take place kind of out in the countryside and Galilee area, et cetera, where he begins his mission. He does a lot of teaching. He does a lot of miracles. Chapters nine through 19 tell the story of him making his way towards Jerusalem and the way people react to his growing fame and to his message. And then chapters 19 through 24 tell the story of his final week in Jerusalem, the things that he does to kind of stir the pot a little bit things that he says to his disciples and then finally his crucifixion the the dark days that follow that and then his resurrection and even we get a cool a few cool stories like the road to Emmaus of things that happen after the resurrection but before the the ascension which occurred 40 days afterward so one of the big questions that people in my position and I assume people in Taz's position have often gotten from people we've either discipled or people who are curious. And it's, it's, how can we trust this? You know, isn't this, you know, a a 2000 year long game of telephone. And one of the things about Luke that is, is very unique for us to be able to prove is that Luke very often cites names and dates and places and specific things in his writing that make it very easy for us to go and verify, are these real? Were they happening when he said they were happening? 
And uh, for the entirety of the writing, uh, we've, we've determined yes. So for instance, you know, uh, when he is discussing uh, in the very beginning about who was governor when they were calling a census, it is specific and it is explained in that passage who was governor when they were calling a census. And we can verify that through extra biblical sources and, and other things. And so for that aspect of it, this is actually one of our great tools that we use to determine the accuracy of what was written here. God has blessed us with this wealth of archaeological evidence that continues to confirm some of the claims that Luke makes about this governor, that governor, locations and dates. It also helps us to have faith and confidence in just what these manuscripts are saying and whether they say today what they said originally as well. Because we're not just playing a game of telephone where we go down based on copies, based on the previous translation down the line. Many of the better translations that we have today are actually going back to those original reconstructed languages and manuscripts and basing the translations off of that. So we've answered the who. We answered the when. We answered the why. How is with a pen and paper, in case you were wondering. And I think that's all the questions they taught me when I was in elementary school. I don't know if there's any more questions that we need to answer. I I guess pen and paper probably isn't the most accurate representation of what Luke did. It was probably papyrus and probably a reed dipped in ink. But, yeah. He might have made notes on a clay tablet with a sharp thing. That That is also a distinct possibility, yes. Imagine being a reporter in that era. Like, not only can you not take a recording of what they're saying paper is also super expensive <laughs> yeah. a struggle that's what blows my mind and we'll get there uh if we continue uh from luke to acts which i don't know this is going to be a long season if we do that uh <laughs> but you know we continue when it's talking about the ethiopian eunuch and he casually has his personal scroll for the book of isaiah and i'm like y'all don't realize how expensive that was at first century to have your own scroll of the book of Isaiah, mm-hmm. like, like churches, like literally at that point, I say churches, synagogues would literally like share a library between them. And like certain synagogues this week would have this role or this scroll. And, you know, and it, it was like, uh, okay, y'all have it this week, y'all have it this week. And like, this dude had his own copy. Like you talking rich, like he was balling in that chariot, like straight up. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did work for the Candace of the Ethiopians, right? Yeah, so I also had to teach that passage to sixth graders once. And uh, the question that you imagine that would come up in that passage came up a lot, which is, uh, what is a eunuch? And (laughs) uh, I think the children's minister hated me. That's why she gave that to me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Kayla, if you ever listen to this, I love you. All right. Well, that's been our introduction to the book of Luke. I will not do a reading of the entire book. I'm not going to put that on y'all. I will probably read it either in two halves or three thirds. And we will release those as they become appropriate. Once again, I think it's important to be able to experience the the story, the the book as it as it originally was, which is out loud and then without a demarcation between chapters and verses. And so be on the lookout for episode one of 
just the book of Luke coming out pretty soon. Anything else you want to add, Sam? Yeah, Taz, I'm going to kindly ask that you spare our listeners because uh, I have the CSB audio Bible and the entirety of the Gospel of Luke uh, for the audio Bible is two hours and 32 minutes and 56 seconds. So that's a lot. uh, And I wouldn't want that for your voice. And I also can't imagine anyone listening. I mean, there are people who do it. Don't get me wrong. And if that's you, God bless you. Uh, You're a great person. But uh, that's a lot. It is a lot. I listened to a podcast called Hardcore History, and the previous episode was five and a half hours long. It took me almost a week, but I did it. But there's a limit to how many of those you can do in a year. Yeah. Sam, back to a segment we haven't done in a little bit. Got a hot take for you. Oh, no. So this week we've got Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson in the hearings for her Supreme Court nomination. I, I listened to a little bit of, of the live thing. I think it was Tom Tillis who was asking her some questions. Well, he said he was asking questions. He was mostly kind of grandstanding. What are your thoughts on her? And do you think that she'll be a good associate justice to the Supreme Court? Uh, there, are, there are definitely things that uh, I like about Judge Brown Jackson. I think it's an amazing and wonderful thing that this will be the first uh, person who served as a public defender being nominated to the Supreme Court. I think that's an amazing thing um, because uh, the criminal justice system it, really has some inequities that need to be faced. And so having someone who fought on the side of, as a public defender, I think is, is interesting. I have questions about her judicial philosophy or the lack thereof. You know, that, that to me is really interesting that a judge would say, I don't have a judicial philosophy. That's about like saying a philosophy professor says they don't have a worldview. You have some questions there, you know, but at the end of the day, it's likely going to be uh, that she is going to go from committee and provided that Joe Manchin doesn't do what Joe Manchin does best, uh, she will be uh, confirmed as the next justice of the Supreme Court. So she'll be the, I believe, uh, ninth woman uh, to serve on the Supreme Court and uh, the fourth woman to serve on the sitting Supreme Court, if I believe so. So, hey, that's cool. Now watch what's going to happen is Joe Manchin's going to vote no, but Mitt Romney's going to vote yes. Well, you know, people made jokes back in the day that, you know, Mitch McConnell was the bad guy and, and Mitch McConnell was the this Darth Sidious saying, I am the Senate. Now that's Joe Manchin. Yep. <laughs> Joe Manchin is the Senate right now. Thank you all for joining us this week. Front Porch Report is a passion project by a group of people who love Jesus and want to spread his word. Our hosts are Taz Turner and Samuel Hinckley. Our theme song is If by Beautiful Eulogy. 
We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and share this episode with your friends so that we can continue to spread the word. If you'd like to get in touch with us, follow on Twitter where we are at Front Report or send us an email at thefrontporchreport at gmail.com. We'll catch you next week. In the meantime, stay safe out there. Uh, yeah, one second. I've got something gross in my phone. Anyway, um, that's the medical language. High fever. <laughs> chapters 19 through 24 tell the week of his. Did I say tell the week? Chapters 19 through 24. Chapters 19 through. Tw- you know, isn't this, you know, a 2000 long year? There are definitely things that I like uh, about Judge Katanji Brown Jr. Jr. <laughs> Jackson. <laughs>